Well, brothers and sisters, if you've ever made a New Year's resolution, uh, if you've ever decided you're going to lose 10 pounds, uh, if you've ever decided that you're going to make some significant change in your life, then Genesis 48 is for you. Genesis 48 is the story of Jacob preparing to die, which in itself is not very encouraging, perhaps. But Genesis 48 is also the teaching of Scripture that Jacob has changed. Lo and behold, people do change. Uh, Change is possible even within us. And Jacob hasn't changed because... uh, God appeared to him and and told him, you must change if you expect me to bless you. Uh, He hasn't changed because uh, Jacob himself uh, recognized uh, the need for change so that he set out to do it. And and now in Genesis 48, uh, he has accomplished the change. No, the, the change that we see in Jacob is the result of age. Jacob has changed because life has gotten a hold of him. And of course, as Christians, as as believers in Christ, we we don't just say that life got a hold of him to change him, but that God has used Jacob's many years to bring him to the point of being a changed man. And just to clarify, the the point is not that we shouldn't make New Year's resolutions. The point is not that we shouldn't endeavor to change. After all, we are called to live a life of repentance. The very definition of repentance involves change. If you recognize some sin in your life and you are convicted of that sin, then repent. Quit doing it. And at the same time, understand that the Christian life is a struggle, and and it always will be until, as as Paul says in Romans 7, until we are delivered from this body of death. So people of God, hear the call to repentance. More than thinking to lose 10 pounds of weight, uh, think of losing 10 pounds of sin so to speak. Endeavor to change. But when change doesn't come easy, when we fail to change as much as we want to, as much as we should, remember Jacob. He is an old man now. His life is behind him. And it's only now that we can see that he is a changed man. As we look at Genesis 48 this morning, the the first point is the covenant corrected. And to make it clear from the start, it's, it's not the covenant itself that needed to be corrected, but rather Jacob's understanding of God's covenant is now shown to be corrected. Let's, let's pick up the story again. Verse 1 of Genesis 48 records that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, that is Jacob, 
summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And, and, and what follows then is a speech made by Jacob. It goes from verse 3 all the way through verse 7. And in it, Jacob is recounting the past. But what's interesting is that Jacob doesn't start with his birth. Uh, he doesn't speak of his days at home with his brother Esau. Instead, he begins at Luz. In verse 4, he said, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Recall the story, if you would. It's, it's hard to forget because it's the story of Jacob's ladder. While Jacob slept, using a stone for a pillar, it's one, one way to conjure up dreams, is to use a stone for a, for a pillar. Uh, but as he slept, he had a dream, uh, the vision of a ladder reaching from heaven to earth. Or was it from earth to to heaven. Maybe you remember that question. The old, the old Sunday school song says, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. But that wasn't the point of Jacob's ladder on which the angels of God were ascending and descending. The point was not that Jacob was being called by God to climb into heaven. The point instead was that God came down to Jacob. God was renewing his covenant promise, first made to Abraham, then renewed with Isaac, and now with Jacob. And Jacob even understood it this way. He he didn't begin to climb the ladder in his dream and vision. Instead, when he awoke, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. But Jacob's understanding and his response to this vision were in error, and in several ways. First of all, uh, Jacob's, Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob's thought seems to be that it was the location that was special. It almost sounds like he was saying, wow, I have, I have stumbled upon a very special place on earth, a portal into heaven itself. He even said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Even more, he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. But Jacob's misunderstanding becomes evident as Bethel never becomes anything more significant in the history of Israel than the location of Jacob's famous vision of the ladder. But Jacob's misunderstanding of God's covenant is also found in the oath that he took as a response to the vision of the latter, he said, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. It may not be fair to say that Jacob was testing God, 
Maybe he wasn't saying, uh, if you want to be my God, if you, if you want me to take you as my God, then you must bless me. Jacob's oath wasn't quite that brash. Or was it? But all we have to do to recognize the problem is compare the words of God to the words of Jacob. The promise given by God was this. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So those are the words of God. And notice that the word if is not found anywhere in this promise from God. I am, said God. I will, said God. I will give to you, said God. I am with you, said God. I will keep you. I will bring you back. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And yet here's Jacob's response. If God, that's the lead-off word, if. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Then the Lord shall be his God. And I think what Jacob meant to say is to say, then I will know that the Lord is my God. But is that any better? What about the dream? What about the vision? Even more, what about the bold, unambiguous, unconditional Promises of God. I am. I will. I will not leave you. I have promised, said God. But having compared God's promises to Jacob's response, let's now compare Jacob's response in Genesis 28 to his words to Joseph in Genesis 48. Recorded in verse 3 and and following, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Can we hear the difference? Now Jacob, in his old age, after many years, after much suffering, now Jacob was focused squarely on what we might call the bare promises of God. The covenant has been corrected. Not that the covenant was ever wrong, but Jacob has gained understanding. We can even say that 
Jacob has learned what faith is. That's the ironic thing about the, the Christian life, I think, that you, you start out with faith, but by the time you get to some later point, you, you wonder, did I believe back then? And it's probably best to figure, yeah, I, I did believe back then, but I've come so far that it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing where I started out. And I hope you hear this as a comfort and, and not a criticism. It's, it's very biblical. As the, as the man in Mark 9 said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that really needs to be our prayer throughout the Christian life. Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And to say that the covenant needs to be corrected is... Is, is a bit like the Apostle Paul saying that the law of God is powerless. Generally, I, I think we would pull up short of saying that anything that belongs to God, any ministry of God, is powerless. After all, He is the Lord God Almighty. And yet, in Romans 8, verse 3, Paul speaks of what the law was powerless to do. And in Hebrews 7, it refers to the law of God as weak and even useless. So is the law of God powerless? Any more than the covenant of God needs to be corrected? No, Paul makes it clear that the law of God is powerless as it is weakened by the sinful nature. The law of God is weak only as it fails to do what God never intended it to do, namely to serve as our ladder into heaven. And actually, the law of God is powerful to do exactly what God intended His law to do, to teach us our sin and to prove our utter poverty in sin. And in the same way, does does God's covenant need to be corrected Well, only when it comes to our misunderstanding of it, or better said, only by way of correcting our misunderstanding of it. And so after many years, Jacob makes this statement of his his clear understanding. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. And this is how we must understand our faith as well. Uh, To be a Christian, a a believer in Christ, is is simply to receive the blessing of God. Here's here's the joy of, of preaching the gospel, to be able to say, as the apostles preached, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or as Paul wrote in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Someone might say, but isn't that still a condition placed upon uh, those called to faith? If you believe, you will be saved. Uh, you, you must call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. But what is faith? But the matter of giving up 
and, and giving in and giving over to God. So, okay, fine. Faith is required. Faith is the condition. Faith is indeed giving up. And when does that happen so often? But in old age. Faith is giving up. Faith is giving in. Faith is giving over to God that he might do it all. So that really, faith itself is the very gift of God. And I think we spend a lifetime learning this. Maybe I'm projecting uh, too much of myself and my own weakness on you, but, but in my experience, the longer we live, the more we know our sin. The longer we live, the more we know not only can we not achieve it on our own, that was, that was out the window long ago when we first started, but the longer we live, the more we know that we cannot even contribute to it. And that's the change that we see in Jacob. He, he basically said, now I know what, what happened at Luz which I took upon myself to name Bethel. What happened at Luz was that God blessed me, period. God made it clear then what he was going to do. But what was clear then is only now clear to me in my old age that the blessing was as good as the fulfillment. And this is what was behind what Jacob said next, verse, uh, starting in verse 5, as Jacob claims uh, as his own the two sons of Joseph. Otherwise, this is really weird. Uh, the second point is the claiming of sons, because verse 5 records these Strange words of Jacob, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And and note the repetition. Your two sons are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh are mine. What is happening here? Was it a custody battle? between uh, a father and a son, between the father and the, and the grandfather of the children. No, Jacob was confessing his faith. Jacob was figuring it out that, that he never should have said if as he responded to God's blessing at Bethel. It had happened exactly as God had said it would happen. And it happened not only despite what happened to Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, it had even happened by way of all that had happened to Joseph in the years that Jacob had spent thinking that that Joseph was dead. Again, that's the providence of God. You've got to wrestle with that. The providence of God is not that God rearranges the events but that he orchestrates each event and all events. 
And he does so to carry out his purpose. The stories told by uh, different human writers like Shakespeare, uh, the stories told by Shakespeare can be enjoyed because they are so intricate and and complicated. And and yet if you're willing to trace the plot through, uh, his stories always make sense in the end. I think Charles Dickens... uh, uh, in 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 another sense, is probably uh, the better writer than than Shakespeare. But but you see, nobody nobody writes it like God. There is no detail. There is no twist in the story that doesn't contribute to the end. And what's the end? God is faithful. What God says he will do, he does. Even when the recipients of his promises are unfaithful. It was true then, it's true now, because God does not change. And and this truth, this comfort for us under the gospel promises of God is found in Jacob claiming the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. It wasn't a custody battle. Uh, It was Jacob saying, I I still have all my sons. In fact, think of this. If Jacob had 12 sons and one of his sons died, at least he was thought to be dead. And if Joseph came back to life, which he figuratively did. And if the two sons of Joseph become two more sons of Jacob because he claimed them as his sons, then doesn't Jacob now have 13 sons? So why don't we speak of the 13 sons of Jacob? Uh, Why don't we speak of the 13 tribes of Israel? I think that's a great question that, uh, that nobody stops to ask. If Jacob claimed as his own the two sons of Joseph with those two sons replacing the one son, Joseph, then Jacob has 13 sons. But what it does, ready for this? It it opens the way, it opens the way for the tribe of Levi. For the tribe of Levi to serve as the priesthood for Israel. When Israel returns to the promised land, which won't happen for some 400 years later, but when they do return, then the land will be apportioned into 12 regions. We're Americans, so maybe we we think in terms of states. If, If we were Canadians, we would think in terms of provinces. But 12 states, 12 tribes of Israel, but there are actually 13 tribes. Why does there need to be 13 tribes? Because there was need for one tribe to cover all the others. The tribe of Levi would receive no allotment of land because the tribe of Levi must live in the midst of the land, even throughout the land, to cover the people with the atonement of God. 
And that's why for us it's, it's better to say, not that I'm a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Lutheran or an Episcopalian, but that I am a Christian. Because even as the tribe of Levi covered the rest of the nation with God's atonement for sin, so Christ covers the entire nation of his church. But, not a, but let us not be like the Israel of old that rejected the tribe of Levi by thinking to carry out their own sacrifices. Israel needed the tribe of Levi. They needed the sacrifices that only the tribe of Levi could perform by God's command. And we all need Christ. We need his once for all sacrifice on the cross to bear the burden, to pay the price, to satisfy the judgment of God and reveal his justice. And someone might say, wow, how did we get from Jacob claiming the two sons of Joseph? How did we get from there to the tribe of Levi, to the atonement of Christ, and to our great joy and comfort in our own day? Well, the answer maybe is not easily did we get there, nor quickly in the annals of, of church history, but, but it is there for us to see if we are willing to trace it out. And, and if we are willing to trace it out, the blessing that indeed comes to us is to see that God always knows what he's doing. Even more, God is always doing something redemptive. He is always the God of salvation. And whatever he does, he always does for his glory and for the good of his people. Finally, a blind blessing. If you haven't uh, been convinced to this point, maybe this will do it. Uh, It's another strange occurrence in the story with details that tie in the last two points. As Jacob was dying, at least he knew that he was soon to die, he, he called for the two sons of Joseph to be brought near to him so that he might bless them. And when he blessed them, he blessed the younger, the secondborn, above the older, the firstborn. Joseph objected because it, it wasn't the thing to do. And Jacob's response was to say, I know My son, I know. How did he know? He knew by experience. Jacob himself was the second born. He was even the twin brother of his brother Esau. Esau was born first. Jacob came out grasping the heel of his brother Esau. I know, my son, I know. Because so it was from his birth. And it fits with Jacob's mature faith because it certainly was still Jacob giving the blessing. But verse 10 makes it clear or rather uh, uh, makes it clear what was unclear, we might say. Uh, What was unclear to the vision of Jacob was which was which, Ephraim or Manasseh. Verse 10 says, now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. Remember Isaac, who could not see at the time when 
Jacob had essentially stolen the blessing from Esau. So when Joseph presented his sons to his father Jacob, the emphasis is clear that Joseph want, uh, presented them as the culture would have them determine or would have determined with the firstborn on his right and the second on his left. But Jacob crossed his hands and blessed the secondborn above the first so that we have another example. Another example of God turning the wisdom of this world on its head. And what is the wisdom of the world but that, but that you gain your blessing by your birth or that you gain your blessing by your actions? But what had Jacob learned? But that God blesses whomever he pleases. And that God is not bound by the rules of this world In fact, Jacob had learned that God is often pleased to bless and withhold blessing exactly opposite from the standards of this world. So where does change come from? It comes from the God who is the only thing, the only one, who does not change. And he can certainly command change, as in the beginning he commanded the change from chaos into a creation of blessing. But we must remember that he is eternal. Time is not a thing for him. So that the change he brings might be instant in in the moment upon his command, But the change he brings, he often brings over time, even by way of time. Because as God is not subject to change, so he is Lord of time. Does that mean that we shouldn't try to change? No. The call of the gospel is to repent and believe. Turn from sin. Change your direction in life. But the great change of Jacob's life came already with God's promise to Abraham. When God promised to bless Abraham and his descendants, God promised, God spoke, God decreed his blessing to Abraham. And so Abraham was blessed. And so Isaac was blessed. And so Jacob was blessed. So let each of us, as believers in Christ, take the words of Jacob as our own. I know, my son. I know. It might take years for that to sink in. But as early as we can, let us say, I know, I know. God is the God of blessing and salvation. His ways are not our ways. His promises are not conditioned upon the drifting, changing hearts of his people. His promises are conditioned upon one thing, his own faithfulness. If God is God, if he is faithful, 
than what He promises is. But there is no if with God. So God, or because God is God, because He is faithful, then what He promises already is, even as we wait for it patiently by faith. Let me close with this. I, th- I think this works. You can tell me afterwards if it didn't work. But let's consider from now on that the word IF is an acronym. And it stands for I fail. I-F. I, I fail. So that with an IF placed upon the promises of God then the promises of God are weak and they're uncertain. Is there something wrong with the promises of God? Will we say of the promises of God that they are weak and uncertain? Yes, the promises of God are weak and uncertain, but only as we place an if upon them. Because the if stands for I fail. But there is no if placed upon the promises of God, at least not as God makes his promises. I will bless you, said God to Abraham. I will bless you, said God to Isaac. I will bless you, said God to Jacob. And Jacob finally, finally figured it out. After many of his own ifs, Jacob understood. God is sovereign. In his blessing, God does whatever he pleases. And what he is pleased to do is to bless his people. So he has done, and from our perspective, so he will do. And so we can be sure of it because we fail, but he is faithful to us in Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, that as early as you made your promise in Scripture of a coming Savior, that there was never an if within the promise, and certainly never one that meant we had to perform, we had to do something, we had to earn or achieve what you were promising to do. And we thank you that we get to live in the day of fulfillment. We get to live on this side of Christ in the cross and his resurrection. And so may we see through the annals of redemptive history that indeed you are a faithful God and may we be all the more sure of your faithfulness all the more than even Jacob was as he was about to die. May we, may we have a, a certainty within our faith and, uh, and by that certainty a great joy uh, which uh, flows uh, from, uh, from the certainty of, of your promises. Grant, O oh Lord, us faith and, and joy in your promises to us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.